Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This independent podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and iHeartRadio, bringing you honest and unfiltered entertainment and discussion on the Montreal Canadiens and hockey news. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Putney are proud to be one of your trusted sources. If you are talking about it, so are we. Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This premier independent fan experience podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and brings you honest and in-depth Montreal Canadiens discussion and entertainment. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Pudney are proud to be one of your trusted sources for Habs and hockey news. If you are talking about it, so are we. Are you in the market for quality sticks and equipment you can afford? There is a no-frills, no-nonsense company that wants to provide that to you. No Name Hockey. No Name Hockey is a small Canadian company started by former pro player Jason Goulet. When he retired, he searched for sticks that felt like when he was a pro but could never find the right one or one that was reasonably priced. So he decided to start No Name Hockey. Now No Name offers high-quality, customized sticks at a fair price. They won't try to wow you with a fancy name. They will focus on providing you a pro-stock quality stick that you can afford. The cost of sticks has gone through the roof due to sponsorships and licensing fees. No Name Hockey makes sticks for the No Names and players currently making a name. Welcome to episode 113 of Habs Unfiltered. I'm your host, Blaine Putney. I'm joined now by my co-host, Treg Wilson. Hey, everybody. And Matt, I'm wearing a onesie Smith. This is official pandemic wear. Like, is there any other reason to wear anything other than a Habs onesie? I think it looks perfect. It's very, very comfortable and super it warm. It only looks perfect because you're wearing it, Matt. Yeah, shout out, shout out to Hockey Saki. <laughs> you look great you look great thanks it just helps me glow it does <laughs> so as we record today is tuesday the 26th and it is wayne gretzky's birthday so happy 60th to the great one happy shout out to wayne gretzky huge box lacrosse player when he was a kid just throwing that out there you're uh, yeah. welcome on the show anytime if you're listening well yeah yeah. Just bring just bring some Gretzky 99 whiskey and you're set. Done. 
So not much has happened since our last episode. I mean, you know, been a quiet, uneventful, you know, couple of days. Nothing happened. Hockey no, world's quiet. Yeah, pretty much. The Canucks series just kind of was just like, yeah, let's, let's play hockey. Yeah. yeah. No hard feelings, you know. Except three minutes into the game. Yeah. <laughs> so that's where we're going to kick this this show off is um, Edmondson and his actions in rectifying where the league royally screwed up. So for those who aren't following our very broken chain of logic, um, Myers made a predatory blindside hit on Armia the league de- and was given a five game major a five minute major and the remaining game misconduct the league decided meh he didn't really hit him in the head despite what the ref saw in the replay so eh, no supplemental discipline we know it happened at the end of a game when they were losing badly and whatever so because of this because of the language in the the rule were they they couldn't suspend him for the predatory hit because it didn't according to them make initial contact with the head he was left scot-free so we all know what the unwritten code in the nhl is if you're going to do something like this you're going to have to answer the bell someone's going to step up and i know there's a lot of people that hate fighting a ton but if you want fighting out of the game you got to start with this shit got to get this stuff out because the players when the league fails them like they did here will step up and police themselves and that's what Edmondson did calling Myers out at the warm-up asking to uh, to have a go he agreed and three minutes into the game they fought so uh Matt what are your thoughts he did what he had to do. He didn't make it public. He didn't say anything during the um, you know press conferences or anything. And and the team was actually very uh, professional about it. Um, Claude Julian said that you know they'll take care of it the way they see fit, and uh, and they did. He um, he you know it was a it was a clean fight. It you know he, there was no slash hit from behind, no bullshit. It was just two big guys slugging it out. And after that the rest of the game was able to uh, to continue and there wasn't any real bullshit afterwards either. So I, I think that um, for now we've seen the, we've seen the last of this. They do play Vancouver a couple times coming up. So we'll see if there's any uh, remnants of it. That's going to, uh, that's going to come over, but um, overall Canadians had a good game and like hats off to Armia or Armia. Um, Evanston for stepping up for Armia and he even got a, an empty netter. So it was kind of like the cherry on top and Myers had a fucking terrible game. So that kind of made us all pretty happy. Um, but you know what? I think part of that was just the, um, the spotlight that he knew was going to be on him. And I just think that uh, it led to a really terrible game out of him. And um, you know, the Canadians came out on top, but good on, good on Evanston for, uh, for doing that. Um a lot of people thought that, um, you know, Corey Perry was going to get in the lineup and fight Myers. It fucking wasn't. We know that wasn't going to happen. He's an agitator. He's not a fighter. But he can fight. He can, but he's an agitator. He's not going to go up against Tyler Myers. It's not going to happen. I was thinking it was going to either be Edmonston or Sherrod. If Perry were going to do anything, it would be to spear him in the nuts or something. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Treg, what do you think? Uh, I thought 
it was the best thing to do. Um, the biggest thing for uh, a situation like that is to get it over early within the game. I know I had a discussion with someone on Twitter and they said it didn't help anything. It was pointless. Um, okay, sure. Yeah, you can. That's fair evaluation if you're not into fighting or think it's, it's, it's dumb. But uh, I do believe if that doesn't happen, then you see a chippier. Uh, I don't think the Canadians are as on their game as they would be if it was over and done with. Uh, uh, there was highlights of Edmondson before the during the warm up that he went over and said something to Myers, and Myers nodded his head. So they they train with each other off uh, in the off season. So they know each other quite well. And I think it was just a matter. And you know what? Props to Tyler Myers for standing up for, you know what I mean? Taking, taking the fight. Like he could have easily not, uh, but you could tell by the, the little pregame uh, video, Edmondson said something and he nodded his head. And it was one of those right off the face off. They jolts just dropped the gloves and, and a good thing Edmondson won the fight because I mean, Myers just basically held on because I mean, it would look pretty bad if he lost, but um, so yeah, I think Edmondson did the right thing. Uh, I'm not one of those pro fighting against fighting. I don't believe you should fight when you don't need to. Um, I think we can go back to a game against Calgary actually when Nicholas Delorier got into a fight at a situation and it really, uh, this is what two, three years ago, and it really sparked the Calgary Flames, and they came back and won the game. Uh, but I'm not against fights either. If a fight happens, great. I like to watch them. I find most of them are just wrestling matches now. Anyway, you don't get the Donnie Brooks like you had with Bob Probert and Ty Domi. Um, but it was over and done with, and the rest of the game went on as normal. The Canadians played their game, and that that was that. It was just ended up being a regular hockey game after that. See, I'm so. I'm a proponent of. Uh keeping spontaneous fighting in the game because you know the tempers flare people are competing then a fight breaks out it, it's completely unplanned it's spontaneous i i have no problem with that uh, i don't like staged fights but in this case this is essentially a staged fight in this case that is a teammate stepping up for another teammate because the league failed the players so retribution must be taken. And like you mentioned, Treg, had Edmondson not done this, the Canadians as a team would have probably been distracted and spent most of the night chasing Myers down, giving him dirty shots. Because if he turned down a fight, well, then they would just go after him in other ways. So maybe Vancouver ends up with a win. Maybe Myers ends up injured in some way. And it just escalates because the league failed. The, the rules as written aren't sufficient to get rid of these predatory hits. I despise these blindside hits. There's nothing. I love a good solid hit. You come chest to chest, you know, you can see the guy coming. That is great hockey. But what he did, Armia was, his head was turned. He wasn't even looking at, at the play. He came in from a blindside. I, I don't like those hits. Uh, Eric Engel said it pretty good in one of his articles about it. Um, And he basically said the NHLPA is black and white. It reads the rules as the rules are written and in the rules. And as they are written right now, there's nothing against blindside hits. They determined that the hit, the initial contact was the chest and that the head movement was just a matter of uh, that's debatable. 
I'm not going to to go there. I've watched the play many times. I can see it from both angles. Personally, I think it was – personally, I'm on the side of it was a dirty hit. But yeah. the rule books don't have a – unless it's from behind or a hit to the head. If it's neither one of those, by NHL standards, it's not a dirty hit. Whether the guy had his head down and was tying a skate or whatever he was doing, doesn't matter. It's a poorly uh, written rule, the one that they used. Uh, correct. There's, there's rule 38 that they could have followed, and it's still poorly written, even though all the press from 2010 and on, remember when the uh, all the big uh, arguments about blindside hits, the NHL mm-hmm. said, hey, we're going to fix this. It's solved. Here's a new rule, the blindside hit rule. Well, clearly what they did was insufficient, and that leaves the players to police themselves. So if you're if you don't like fighting, you need to step up and tell the league, hey, fix your damn rules because if you don't, players are gonna fight. So for me, there's nothing in the rule. Oh, Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, go ahead, Matt. I was just gonna say there's uh, nothing in the rule book that says anything about blind sides. No, and that's my point. If if you read the rule book, yeah. But they made a big. There's nothing. Correct. It was all and. So basically, Eric Angle said it perfect. He just said, so you can get mad at NHLPA all you want. You can get mad at Julian for what he said. You can get mad at Edmondson for starting the fight. But in the end, you're, what you really got to get mad at is the NHL itself and say, this rule has to change. Yeah. Or there has to be a rule in there that states blindsided hits or, you know. Yeah, so everything I just said there. <laughs> So what I was going to add on really quick um, about the fighting is if uh, I think that if somebody didn't step up to fight him and the game just would have went on, um, I think we would have heard it more in the media than anything that uh, the Canadians went out, they made all these additions, they got bigger, they got tougher, they got this, they got that. Yet um, when it comes down to it, they didn't, uh, they didn't um, take care of business. So they didn't, uh, they didn't go seeking retribution or anything and they just let it happen. And that could have been a negative, uh, a negative uh, effect on the team as other teams could look at them and be like, okay, we can take Liberty with what, with, with this team because they're not going to do anything to me. Yeah. They would have gotten. I'm just going to jump on Carey Price's head. No one's going to do anything about it. Yeah. Throw a knee into the back of his head. Yeah. Chuck him. Yeah. No, they would have gotten (laughs) Brendan Kelly for sure. Yeah. Oh, oh! Well, I think it Brendan Kelly anyway, but uh, yeah. Um, but no, Kachuk. I, I don't know. I thought, it, I thought, I think someone. I think you're right, Matt. I think if it wasn't Edmonton, I think Sherratt probably would have stepped up and done something. Somebody, a Perry wouldn't have, Weber wouldn't have. I know people love Weber. He's a man, but Weber's not really a fighter. He's not really a. He doesn't. No, go I fight. think he, he would have hurt. stepped up. In, in cases like this, because of his, uh, he is a leader. He's the captain of the team. He would have to do this. He knows what he would have to do. If Edmondson didn't do it, he would end up having to do it. I just think if he was going to do it, it would be in a situation like a spontaneous, like, you know what I mean? Him and Myers would have met in a corner somewhere. And like, I don't think he would have staged it is pretty much what I'm saying. I think Sherratt probably, but you could have had guys like Perry, uh, Anderson or someone like that playing dirty against Myers and doing something. And we could have been, we could have been taking stupid penalties all night long. Just because Stupider. they're trying to slash, yeah, they're trying to slash the you know the shit out of uh, Tyler Myers and all that kind of stuff. And you know Perry, as he's standing behind the referee, would like jab his fucking stick into his eye or something. And 
pretend nothing happened but uh i'm glad it was done and uh, whether you like it or not it's part of the game it's uh if the nhl doesn't start policing these type of things the players will and they did game went on as normal i thought it happened at the perfect time it was the perfect way to do it and the game ended up being a great game actually so they ended up uh they ended up with a win that's the most important thing uh cory perry looked really good in his debut uh for all the cory peter cory perry haters out there sorry he had he had a good game um you look at it at four shots he scored played over 15 minutes and um he shined in my opinion and um you know, Gallagher scored a big goal. Drouin looked good. It's, um, you know, the, we didn't need to see Toffoli score a hat trick for them to win the game, right? So it was nice to see. Although he could have had two goals. And yeah, he, he, he could have for he sure, yeah. It, so. um, yeah. But according to Berkshire, Andrew Berkshire, Corey Perry's goal was the ugliest goal he's ever seen in his life. They all count at the end of the day. Yeah, I, Berkshire's never scored a goal, so I don't yeah. even know how he would know. Well, Who cares? I, who cares what the goal yeah. looks like? As yeah, long they as all the count at the end of the day. So Perry, even, Perry even said he was trying to pass it to Cottenhamie. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. So I went and so. checked on this on the uh, the stats list, <clears throat> and I tried to find the list with this with the uh, the stat called pretty goals, but I only found the one that said goals. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, exactly. I think Ray Ferraro says in NHL 21, his first goal was off his ass, and uh, you know he still thinks it's still a goal. Yeah, 100%. You don't have goals like every goal, goal doesn't need to be a dangle through the uh dangle through the team like Brent Burns did the other night off the face off. Yeah. You know, like it doesn't it doesn't need to always be that. They can be dirty. And he's a player that goes to the net anyway, so good for him for not having to be hacked and slashed to to score a goal. And if, so what I if is, is Burchard trying to say Go ahead. Yeah, if every goal is pretty how do you, how can you appreciate the pretty goals? Yeah, 100%. All right, so are we just not should we go on further and not count ugly goals? Uh as, you know, referees have looked over this replay and that goal was pretty ugly looking, so we're not going to count it. No goal. No goal because it wasn't pretty enough. If Corey Perry plays 56 games for the Canadians this season and scores 56 ugly goals, who the frig is going to complain? All right, so if Matthew scores an ugly goal, it doesn't count. Well, yeah. It's just an ugly goal. Did he get cross-checked from the back <laughs> before he scored it? He'll pretend he was. Okay. Yeah, and Then he'll miss a game. Uh, my back. <laughs> my manicure. <laughs> my mustache. You hurt my mustache. Oh, God. That one hair fell off. Okay. I glued it there. I glued it there specifically for this. <laughs> <laughs> so essentially but at the end of the day like like matt said it's a win and that made for a very successful road trip for the canadians they went 4-0-2 came back with 10 points out of a possible 12 and before the season started if someone said hey canadians are doing a six game road trip to start the year and they're going to come back with 10 points who the hell would have been upset and the fact that both of the games that they uh, only got a point out of in my opinion they should have won both games they could have. And they, they just shot, have. I, I yeah. said on the last show, they shot themselves in the foot both games. So, Yeah, and we're going to so we're, we're gonna have a mailbag later in the show, and one of the questions asked covers why the Canadians shot themselves in the foot. Perfect. 
It was also the first team in the NHL since 1960 to start their t- their uh, season on a six-game road trip and come away with a point in every game. And that also was the most. Well, that must be why the Canadians throw, made throw number one. There. Well, it might be the reason why the Canadians made number one in uh, NBC's NHL power rankings ahead of teams like Vegas, Tampa, Colorado, and Boston. Not bad. They're eh? also number. They're also number two in Sportsnet's uh, um, power rankings behind Vegas. One? Vegas. Oh, behind. Okay. They were number. The Sportsnet had them number two behind Vegas, and NBC has them number one. I think the NHL has them number one too. So. Yeah. So pretty good. Pretty good road trip when the when the Canadians are actually getting positive press and placed on these power rankings, which are let's be honest completely subjective it's just people absolutely. making shit up absolutely based on the play that week yeah that's all it is it doesn't make any difference it's just fun to see but just the fact that they're being mentioned as a decent hockey team for a change and getting on these power rankings in the top half it's just a really nice change of pace yeah but you know what? They they deserve to be there. They deserve to be. They yeah. deserve to get the recognition. You look at this roster right now, and um, with the players that played on the team, there's three guys that haven't scored a goal in six games. So Byron, Janelle, and Kulak are the only guys that haven't scored a goal yet for the team. Every after, six, pl- after yeah. six games, that's pretty impressive. Every player has at least one point, that's including right. one game player, Corey that's Perry. Right. Yeah. Um, it's just. I don't know if we if we're getting into this now or whatever, but it, it's just such a well balanced. There's no superstars on the team. There's no besides no. Price, but there's no. Uh, they're leading the league in goals. I believe they're second or third in goals average. Goals for average. Um, they're averaging they're almost. Are they first? They got five goals per game. Okay, I thought, all right, so there you go. So five goals per game. They're first in that. They're first in uh, goal scored with 29. And the closest team to them is is uh, Vancouver with 27. Uh, everyone else has 22. And Vancouver's played more games. Uh, right. So, I mean, it's is this going to happen for the rest of the season? Let's hope so. But let's, if we're realistic, no. Like, uh, you know, I'm not trying to be – Well, that's why – Go ahead. That's when things like um, overtime and shootouts are going to become vital. And, and that in my opinion is, is somewhere they really need to work. Yeah. Especially overtime, because it seems that uh, they give up a lot more chances than what they, that they get themselves in overtime. And these are the points that uh, are really going to become vital as the, uh, as the year goes on. Because overtime Uh, is counterintuitive. You you don't like normally Julian plays a defensive system he plays to protect, but in a three-on-three overtime, you don't have that option. You have to play to win. Yeah, so you got to play to attack. One hundred percent. That's something. That's something that Claude hasn't done really well in Montreal. He, he, he kind of the Vancouver overtime. He kind of got away from the Dano Gallagher Weber yeah. starting them in overtime and went to, I believe, it was Suzuki, Anderson, and Petrie. I think is who he started with. Um, which is a good, it's, that's a good Which line is good, for, yeah. yeah. And then Cotton Yemi to Foley and 
say Romanov. Why not? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think Dano personally, Dano and Weber should be the last guys you put out in overtime. Do you know what opinion. I would do with Dano? Because Dano can he can skate. Yeah. Win faceoffs. Put Dano out as a third forward. You know he can defend. You know he's got an active stick. And Lekkonen's the same way. They're not they're not defensemen per se, but they're going to be able to get back into the play say faster than a Sherratt or a, or a Weber. It's a different look. Yeah, hundred percent. I don't think any team's gone with three forwards, have they? Toronto. Toronto's Toronto. done that a couple times. Well, I mean, look at look at the weapons they have. Really? Why the hell wouldn't you? Well, if you're going to have Riley out there, you might as well put another forward. I think they Riley's have, and I think I think Edmonton, I think has too. Edmonton has as well. Yeah. Yeah. Again, look at the forwards they got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With but Yamamoto I, now, they got they got three top end forwards. Yeah, but the only thing go- is, you start with three forwards, you can't get hemmed in your own zone, and you better make it count. Yeah, yeah, especially but if it's your three best guys. What difference does it make? You already have the point. You're playing to win. If yeah. to win, uh, they, yeah, take, if yeah, they take, score they on the it, chance. they score on you. Like, what are you losing? You're lo- while well, you're losing the extra point, but playing defensive, what are you trying? What are you gaining playing in a defensive system in overtime? You're not gaining. You're going to end up in your zone anyway. Yeah, exactly. So as long as they got a guy who can win the face off, get the face off, have your three best players out there, and go for it. Like, you know, what 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 can you lose? Yeah. I mean, got Carey Price I, in your net. Take the chance. Yeah, why not? I mean, Price didn't play bad in the Toronto overtime. He nope. made a couple big saves, and then Byron decided he was too tired to. I mean, he made him. Byron made a mistake. Let's he got a three on, on one, Byron. and they Let's scored on it. You can't. Exactly. You can't fault anyone for that. Really. And it's Toronto. Toronto got good scoring players. They're going to score in overtime. Yep. I'm sorry, Toronto and Edmonton are probably the two best teams for overtime. Uh, you know, for scoring for players three on three there. overtime. Exactly. Playoff overtime is right? a whole other story. That's wow. normal hockey. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it happens. Oh, well, get over it. Move on to the next game. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah. I, I just want to bring up, I think the biggest thing for Montreal right now is the fact that they're, they ha- they average 4.83 goals a game, almost five. But their shooting percentage is fourth in the league at 13.6. This is the big turnover from last year. Because last year they were second, I believe, in shots on goal. This year, so far, they're first at 35 and a half. But last year, their shooting percentage was like 23rd or 24th in the league. It was terrible. Yeah. Uh, the big difference is this year, it's one of the best shooting percentages in the league. And that's where I think the big improvement is on the team. You don't need all-star players if you have guys that can regularly a shot on net and put one in. So, yeah. I mean, that's yeah, last I think, year's- the big Last year's PDO was extremely low. It was a uh, bottom third of the league. And this year's PDO is in the top five. So and, massive difference. And three of their, if you're talking about XGF, because you know how much I love to talk about analytics, but uh, three, their top three lines are, and we'll get into one of them later on in the mailbag. Their top three lines are, uh, are, uh, there's, I'm pointing and no one knows what I'm pointing at. Uh, <laughs> their top three lines are the top seven in the league and two of their lines are top four. So for XGF. Which and puts them number one in the league. Correct. So that's how you win hockey games. 
That's how you win Hawkins. And if anyone noticed, if you look on the far left, right of your screen, is the Montreal Canadiens at the top, right by Carolina, if you can't make it out. Yeah, so that uh, that chart comes from Sean Tierney of yeah. Charting Hockey. And it's the, uh, ex- the expected goal rates for all the teams in the NHL up to their current games played. And the Canadians fall squarely in first in the good range. So good and fun. So that right there should tell you everything you need to know about their season in comparison so far to last year. It's only six games, so let's not yeah. think this is going to continue for the rest of the season. It was a good road trip. Correct. So, But it, it's a good indicator of how the team should play and probably should win more games than they lose going forward. So, Oh, they can play. Yeah. I mean, their biggest uh, – I think their biggest um, – challenge is going to happen thursday night and i'll segue i guess into our next next uh, thing here uh so uh it's calgary yeah so the calgary series before we get into the deep winter of the calgary series we're going to get into the winter for manscaped hey fellas oh we're thick in the winter of a storm and a storm's a brewing it looks like one to three inches are in the forecast when you trim that hibernation bush that's taking place in your pants. Luckily, our partners at Manscaped specialize in products to make sure you're walking around town with beautiful snowballs. The Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer is the best hygiene tool for the modern man. Because of their ceramic blade and advanced skin safe technology, your snags on your snowballs will be reduced. The trimmer is also waterproof so you can trim in the shower or jacuzzi if you're a savage. Manscaped's Manscaped's performance package is the best buy of 2021. The performance package comes with the new and improved lawnmower 3.0, weed whacker, ear and nose hair trimmer, performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag. Have you ever noticed how nasty nose and ear hair is? In fact, 75% of partners polled admitted that long nose hair is a major turnoff. Might as well use the best tools to do the job. This bundle also uh, comes with the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner. The uh, Crop Preserver is an anti-chafing ball deodorant that will make your balls smell nice and make you feel like your testes are walking in a winter wonderland. The Crop Reviver is a spray-on toner for your balls. It's made with soothing aloe and witch hazel extracts that will make your balls look up at you and say, thanks. Don't get cold feet this winter. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code unfiltered20 at manscaped.com. They have a ton of other amazing men's hygiene products on their website, from disposable mats for your pubes to foot deodorant. 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code unfiltered20. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code unfiltered20. Thanks, Manscaped, for making our winter wieners look so good. Wow. Three inches. Three inches. Three inches. Three inches. (laughs) (laughs) So. I may or may not be wearing my Manscaped boxers underneath this onesie, by the way. (laughs) I I had mine on yesterday. Nice and silky. You guys wear underwear? 
I do, yes. I actually can't sleep in my bed naked. I have to wear underwear. Tina Sensu. I can't wear, no, I just can't do it. I, can't, I don't sleep with any other clothes either. Just, you just slide just off the silk sheets, eh? That's right, yeah. <laughs> so moving on to the Calgary series. So the Flames are about to come to Montreal and start a two-game set with the Canadians. Um, our preseason predictions, we all had Calgary right up there in the top uh, top two for the division. Uh, Calgary's been, uh, I mean, they had a loss their last game. They're playing tonight, I believe, against Toronto. Yep, I think so, yeah. Uh, there might have been some controversy in the last game between Toronto and Calgary. Apparently, Matthew Kachuk did something and everyone got upset. So it's basically a carbon copy, cut and paste of every single game he's ever played. Or any game that somebody plays the Leafs. <clears throat> there has to be some sort yeah. of drama. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you look on the replay, I think he need him in the head. So, I mean, he, I think he did a – he said in his interview, oh, everyone's picking on me. I didn't do anything. I'm getting tired of people picking on me. Well, don't be a dick. Yeah. He got knocked down. He didn't fall down on purpose, but his knee went up into the air and into and, the goalie's head. Yeah. It was a targeted, it was a targeted flop. It, it was an yeah. intentionally accidental fall. Yeah. yeah. And then soon after getting hit in the head, Campbell was out with a with a leg injury. So Yeah. Well, you know, the head bones do? connected to the knee bones, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah Somehow. so that is a that is a pretty big blow for toronto we're having problems with the waiver wires and their backups and uh that's a lot of weight to put on anderson especially since they lost dell to new jersey when they put him tried to put him down to the taxi squad yeah. so that's and a now big they're, they're big stuck blow. with hutchinson who they re-signed after claiming he was terrible yeah. after they let him go the thing is he went to he went to colorado and he gave them the chance to win because he mm. stepped up in the playoffs right he did. Obviously, Colorado, you know, much better, <laughs> much better defensively too. So. Yeah. so for their sake, he's going to have to step up. But oh, right yeah, now, our concern is Calgary. And Calgary is, uh, they're a hell of a team. A strong defense. Their, their top six rivals anyone in the NHLs. I challenge anyone to tell me that there's one other top six that that's clear-cut better. Uh, their goaltending is top notch. I mean, Markstrom is, he's coming off a season last year. He, he played lights out hockey, led, uh, led the Canucks to a, you know, through the playoffs. Um, and he's playing well so far this year and their forward group, they've got a, they've got a deep forward group as well. And it has a Kachuk. So they're, they're nothing to sneeze at. This is going to be a tough test for the Canadians when uh, Calgary comes to town. Yeah, so for me on this, um, I would say that uh, for Calgary, they would need to t- – like, if I'm the Canadians, I'm targeted, targeting their defensemen. Because their defensemen are more skill-based, block-shot type players. They're not the uh, – they're not like the heavy hitters or anything. You get in the forecheck, wear them out, you probably have a good chance to win the game. And um, it's going to be kind of like the Edmonton series. They don't have – the obviously the McDavid's or the uh, the dry styles or anything like that. But if they can play a simple game like they did against them, pucks in deep, four check, use your speed, and just 
close out their skilled players, they'll come away with a win. I think the X factor for me is going to be uh, Markstrom. How good is he going to be? Um, I don't know if he's playing tonight against the Leafs. I'm not sure. Um, but so far, he's played all four games. He's got a, a 9.28 save. Has two wins, but a 9.28 save and two wins. It's definitely wasn't his fault that they lost. No. He's expected to play tonight. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> now, another uh, couple other little items for uh, the for the series in Montreal for their home opener. It's Montreal's home opener, so Molson declared over the weekend on francophone on a francophone channel some show that I don't know I hadn't heard of until this weekend. Um, he's going to have a surprise for the anthem. Not sure what that is. Maybe it's Jeanette uh, Renault. Who's going to sing it? I don't. I don't know. I, Celine Dion. Celine. Yeah. Hey. It, apparently, it's a big surprise. So we're going to find out. And but the uh, the one bad news portion, well, outside of the uh, the team itself, is that Yuppie will not be available for his first game in Montreal. What the fuck? Why? I demand answers. This this is a blow to the team. This could be the winner. This could be the difference in the in the winner loss. Because a giant orange mascot shaking his ass at the goalie could distract him. Could works for Philly. Well, you mean that crackhead that's dressed like Yuppie? Yuppie, that's Yuppie's uh, twin crackhead brother. I was talking about yeah. Voracek, but whatever, it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, I wasn't even going to answer that question because you're a dirtbag of a reporter. So, uh... <laughs> total dirtbag. Ah, uh, Voracek. Leave him alone. He gets picked on by the Philadelphia media. Leave him be. Poor guy. Yeah. I'm so tired of Bernie Sanders memes. I really am. You're going to love the next one. Treg is a goalie meme, so we're doing it. We're doing it. Me as a goalie? Yeah. All right. All right. So anyway, back to Calgary. Um, I don't know this, like, like I mentioned, this is a tough test for Montreal. If they're going to, if they can pull off a split here, that would be a big, big push for the Canadians. I mean, four days off after the long trip that helps. Um, And and they're going to be kind of pumped because it's this, it's the season opener in Montreal unfortunately there are nobody in the stands could you imagine the kind of how how raucous it would be in the bell center if the canadians came back home after a road trip like that and this was their opener i think you'd be insane i think you'd be insane but for me i'm looking at the players and um you know they're home now they can be they can see their families they can be around their pets etc be around their kids etc and um it's uh i think it's going to just kind of breathe new life into them. They can take a deep breath. They can be like, okay, we're home. Let's fucking keep the ball. Let's keep the ball rolling. Yeah. They had and a day off gonna, yesterday. Yeah. And I think they're going to see a, we're going to see a rejuvenated team. I think they're the, the rest is going to be uh, well, well, um, uh, well received. Yeah. In practice this morning, um, there were no changes in the lineup. <clears throat> All the lines were pretty much exactly what they were before. Um, and, and we, we talked about it before uh, the Canadians right now are averaging about five goals a game. 
and allowing about three goals a game. I, I see a bit of a regression to the mean where the number of goals per game is going to go down, but the number of goals allowed of game is also going to go down. They're going to focus a little bit more on defense. They're going to tighten that up. Um, special teams, of course, we're going to get into that during the mailbag. Uh, but yeah, I think as long as they keep, if they can't score, if they can stop some goals and keep that goal differential pretty much where it is now, that's a, that's, that's a recipe for success. And in this two game set, the key is going to be how do we shut down that top Calgary line? Well, Julian said today in his presser that he's comfortable putting any line up against the top line with his team right now. Uh, he was asked about Evans in the fourth line and he said, well, the fourth line, if you want to call it that is exact words, he said, uh, I'm confident putting anyone up against the other team's top line right now. Uh, the key right now for Montreal is no Ford has played more than uh, 16 minutes a game. Uh, and that just shows you how well balanced the lines are and how well rested, how well rest, how well balanced the team is and how re- well rested the lines are. And I think that's contributing to the success that they're having this early. Uh, especially with the condensed games that uh, is going to be going on all season. Um, now, Calgary, I don't know how well their bottom six is if it compares to Montreal's bottom six. Um, but if pretty you look strong. At, if you look at their, their point differential for players, uh, it's pretty much all top two line scoring. Um, so um, I know we're going to get into the uh, – to the special teams later, but you can see the power play is starting to kind of not be as good as it was the first couple games, but the PK unit's getting better. I think the PK unit was always good. They had a bad game against Vancouver because we only played six games. It kind of, uh, I mean, this early in the season, if you go over five in the power play, you drop like a rock. But they also had, didn't for- have any, they didn't have any practice playing five on five either. Right. so, yeah, it was just yeah. all. It was all like you look at the look at the Edmonton series. Like how many penalties did they take against them? It was like seven ten, or something. Yeah. Ten in the two games. Yeah, there's ten, and they killed them all. But yeah. you go into Vancouver and you got they scored three of six the first game. I'm not sure what it's one of five. I think the second something game. Like that, yeah. I don't think they scored any in the third game. But I mean, when you you can go over ten one series, but if you go uh, four for eleven the next. You're, you're, and it's just because you have only played six games. Like yeah. there's no, you know, it's like seeing a goals against average of a goalie after two or three games, it's going to be way high or way low. And then it's kind of even out as the, yeah. the season goes and, on. And so. going back to your, your point on the use of their bottom six versus their top six. Uh, I found a graphic here from uh Scotian Canadian, our friend Matt Bedard. Uh, he got it off of uh, Habs Reddit. And it shows the gap between the number one forward and the number 12 forward in the time on ice utilization. Uh, Toronto leads the league in the gap. Their their top player plays 20 minutes more than their 12th forward. Montreal is at the bottom end of that, in in this division that is, uh, where their top forward plays only five minutes and 41 seconds more than their bottom forward. That, That demonstrates that yeah, he's rolling the lines. And the only real difference here would be special teams, really. Yes. When you think yeah. about the ice time for special teams. 
Now, Calgary sits third in the division, and they use their top forward about 13 and a half minutes more than their bottom forward. So they're relying on their top six. They're clearly relying on that top six to uh, to do most of the play. Is that ice time five on five or all situations? All situations. Okay. So they're putting a lot of their eggs in one basket. I don't think their bottom six is that bad, but they're not putting they're not putting a lot of reliance on their bottom six. They're 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 riding their horses. So can Montreal find a way to take advantage of that? I think so. I think that's that's going to be the key for the entire season with the Canadians rolling those four lines. I mean, Evans has looked pretty good to the point where some people are actually calling him a Deno replacement. And to that, I say, stop. Stop saying that. He is not. He's a very good fourth liner right now. Let's not put anything more on him and let's just leave him be. Who knows? Maybe he does become one. But if he doesn't, at least... At least we got an NHL player out of a seventh round pick who's providing quality hockey on the penalty kill and five on five and eating up solid minutes. He was one of our biggest questions when the season started, if he was going to be ready. Exactly. And, uh, and, and so far he's answered the bell. He's, uh, he's definitely performed so far. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, you wrote an article in the hockey writers about how center depth could be our, uh, not, not that it was a bad thing, but right now could be the Achilles heel of this Canadians team going with three relatively young centers. Yeah, the experience um, factor and the depth. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we all knew Suzuki was going to come out and be a gangbuster like he is. Uh, there was a question on Kotkinemi. I think Kotkinemi is probably one of the better centers on this team right now. Two way center. Um, yeah. He's went into more draws than any other. I think he, he leads the team in faceoff percentage. Um, yeah, it was probably Dano. I'd have to look it up, but but I know his face-off percentage has gotten uh, a hell of a lot better than what it was. Forty-seven and a half. Start the season. Forty-seven yeah, and a half right now. Yeah, he started the season. Deneau? He couldn't win. Uh, Dano is fifty-two point one, and yeah. uh, okay, Kakanyemi's forty-seven and a half. Well, considering the first game, Kakanyemi was eleven percent. So let's. Yeah, uh, he's getting better. <laughs> yeah, uh, Suzuki's. You know, Suzuki, Suzuki, but Jake Evans has shown he can kill penalties. He can skate. He can, uh, you know, he can do everything he's asked to do on the ice without hesitation. Is there going to be bumps on the road? Of course, it's going to be bumps on the road. You have three young players, uh, just like Alexander Romanov. There's going to be bumps on the road for him. There's yeah. been very little so far, but uh, there's still going to be bumps in the road. Um, and I mean, it's, it's a testament to. I'm going to have to say coaching. It's a testament to Julian's coaching and the, the coaching staff he has in that system working with these young guys. And it's a testament to Joel Bouchard who got these guys game ready, except Romanov. Uh, Kotniemi and Evans went through Bouchard before they came to Julian and they're game ready. Like the stint Kotniemi uh, had in the AHL, uh, I think did the same as, dare I say it, how Mete improved his game when he gets sent down and came back up. So... I mean, not that Mete improved his game good enough to stay on the team, but, uh, you know, let's do it. So I think that's the advantage Montreal has over every other team in the Canadian division that I've seen so far uh, is the fact that they can rely on all four lines in all situations. Yeah, Bergevin has really um, proven all the doubters wrong too. 
So far, yep. So far. The the additions he's made have made an impact. Everyone at least has made an impact at some point. A lot of people said Edmonston was going to be the next Alsner. And um you know, he's he's been uh, he's been fine defensively and as we open the show with, he's uh he's um he's looking good in the eyes of his teammates as well. It's almost like he knows what it takes to win. Yeah. That Stanley Cup ring might have made a difference. Well, I mean, you gotta you gotta think too. Edmondson Edmondson's not the greatest defenseman. He's not. But he's no one's, a defense. No one's expecting to be either. No. 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 He but he's making I mean, simple he's, plays. That's all he needs to do. Yeah. He's making simple plays. He's blocking shots. He's he leads the team in block shots with thirteen. Uh he's physical. Leads, he leads the team and hits with 18. He leads the team in plus minus, although I'm not or second in the team in plus minus. I'm not a big fan. He has a goal and an assist. I mean, empty net goal. But he leads the team in empty net goals. He he has the he's on as well on his way to the Max Pacioretty Award for the season. Um, <laughs> I, I just I just don't see what all the hate is on Edmondson right now. Does he make mistakes? Does he pinch when he shouldn't? Does he do whatever? Yes, but he hasn't done anything that really costs the Canadians anything, really. Uh, but yet. Yes. He's not. You're freezing up. You're freezing up. And that face is brought to you by <laughs> Sourpuss. The leaders in really bad liquor. <laughs> totally frozen. Oh, yeah, he's, uh, he's done. Yeah. So uh, for now, we'll just move on. Um, <laughs> the face. <laughs> for those who are listening to the show and not watching on YouTube, go to the YouTube channel. It is hilarious. Um, oh, and he's gone. He'll come back. Uh, all right, so we're going to move on to, uh, I don't know. Well, I guess we can do the questions. Uh, we're going to do a mailbag. Before we do that, though, Matt, do you have any other thoughts on the Calgary series coming up? I said, I think it's going to come down to uh, to goaltending. I think if, uh, if Curry Price um, can play the way that uh, we know that he can and have a bounce back of, um, you know, he's, he struggled in one of his last starts. And um, we all know that um, he's a terrific goalie. He's got a better defense in front of him. He's got strong forwards in front of him. He's got guys that, um, that are playing there. They're playing for him. And um, I think it's going to be a goaltending matchup, to be honest. I think this is going to be their toughest test yet. Yeah, I can see, I can see him coming in and playing that first game and showing a little bit more of what we expect from Carey Price. Uh, Jake Allen's probably going to play the second game of that series. Uh, so the, we're going to see more and more from price as we go. And I'm, kind of wondering, I'm, I'm kind of wondering if they may, they might, they might play Allen in the first game and then give the Saturday game to give sa- the Saturday game to, uh, tough to say it's tough to say, but you give, you'd give him a full week off. Sure. But I think he's, he'd want the home opener. Pro- oh yeah. Yeah. I guess so. Yeah. 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 I think Price plays both games. Personally. Well, they do have a back-to-back coming up against Vancouver, don't they? The the next yeah. week. So yeah. we'll see Allen at least once in there. Allen's going to get a couple of games in the next 
five, I think. Yeah, 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 hundred percent. Um, so, oh, yeah, the first and the second they play against back to back. So yeah, they do. Okay, Alan's getting one of those for sure. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, now that Treg's back, we can move on to the mailbag. We put out there that we wanted some questions from our listeners and our friends stepped up. Uh, I think, I think Matt's promise of wearing a onesie on screen was enough to get them to send in some questions. So the first one, it comes from Terry Seguin, uh, Terry Seguin, CBC. And he asks, I'd love to hear you guys discuss refs and a Montreal bias. Does a bias exist or is it just in the minds of Habs fans? Keep up their great work, guys. So my take on that is that... Um, here, I'll, I'll lay it out. So the Canadians have taken 42 minor penalties in the six games they've played so far. That's an average of about seven per game. And they lead the NHL. And not just by a little bit, by a lot with that seven per game uh, uh, average. Uh, they've had 26 power plays so far, which is an average of four per game, which sits about 29th in calls four. So you're at the top for the most calls and you're at the bottom for the, for calls four. So there's a massive gap there. Um, one thing to remember in these numbers, keep in mind with these penalties, 11 of those 42. So a full quarter, 25% of all these penalties go to Suzuki and Evans. Those, those are two young players. One's a rookie, one's in his second year, playing in a top-line role for the first time, steadily. So he's learning the ropes. So yeah, I can see more penalties being called on them because they're adjusting to how they're supposed to play in their roles, getting adjusted to the speed of the game. So I can see that happening. So um, all of that said, do I think the officiating is biased? No. Has there been some terribly officiated games by these refs in the it, during the season early in the year? Yeah, absolutely. They've there have been some horrible, horrible non calls throughout this series, the last series against the Canucks, that you can point to and say, "Oh my God, there's got to be some kind of bias." But keep in mind, there was no preseason games for the referees either, so they're still shaking the rust out. And clearly, some referees are better than others. So. Do I see a Montreal bias? No. Do I see really bad referees? Yeah. Yeah. You got... Not every referee is as good as, as another. It's just like players. Some are stars. Some are trash. What do you guys think? Who's up? Who wants to go first? I'll take it. So I'd say there was, there's no bias either. It's um interesting stat. We talked about uh, we talked about points and goals and everything for the Canadians. There's actually only two players that haven't taken a penalty this year, and that's uh, that's Petrie and uh, Petrie and Byron are the only two players that haven't taken a penalty so far this year. And six games in, that's kind of a crazy stat. Um, but yeah, for me, it's no bias. Um, I, one of the games that they played, you had a rookie official with a veteran official, and the veteran called everything. The rookie just kind of sat back and. The veteran was just like, yep, that's a call. Yep, that's a call. Yep, that's a call. And I, I noticed that a lot of the calls that were made that, you know, we're at home watching and we're like, that is absolute horseshit. A lot of it is the official calling it from an angle that he actually can't see the play. 
and it's the arm just goes up really quick and they just give the they give that other player the benefit of the doubt that either they had the ice or they had the position or whatever you want to call it and um and you're right there's been some horrible calls but it's been an around the league thing um i'm a huge hockey fan just like you guys are i haven't just watched the uh the canadian division and you see some games where somebody just gets trucked over or gets tripped up or something. And you're just like, here comes the arm because you're thinking I'm watching a Canadians game. And it's like, where the, can we get these refs for our games? Like they'd be so much fun to watch. And I think the players will love it too, because uh, as I said, a couple times in the last couple days is uh, it'd be nice to see the Canadians play five on five. They've got a really good team when they do it. Greg, what about you? I don't think there's a bias at all. I don't think there's a bias at all. I think the uh, there, there's a huge inconsistency in the refing in the NHL. And I agree with Matt. It's all over. Uh, a game I like to come to is the Washington boss, or sorry, Washington. Jeez, uh, who, who were they playing? Chara. Anyway, Chara went after this guy. Oh, yeah, that was laid him, him down. Him and Curtis Lazar. Yeah. Yeah, Curtis Lazar. Yeah, Buffalo. And yeah. he was just pommeling, pommeling, and the ref was standing right there. No call, no call, no call, no call. Um, I don't mind refs that don't call penalties as long as it's consistent. If you're not going to call something, make sure it's for both sides and make it consistent. Uh, if you're only going to, if you're going to have playoff style uh, refing, meaning they're put their whistle away unless it's a blatant penalty, then do that. But do it for both teams. Yeah. Do I think uh, – I think Montreal takes a lot of stupid penalties. They have – I don't think they've had a game yet where they didn't throw the puck over the, over the glass. I, no, I'm they pretty didn't do sure... that in the last game. I thought Suzuki did nope. in the last game. Anyway, uh, you know, uh, but they have at least three in their first six games of over the glass. Uh Last year, it was too many men on the ice. So far, they haven't had any of those. But, uh, you know, you look at the seven penalties in the Edmonton game, all seven penalties were callable penalties. They weren't, uh, you know, as we could say, sometimes soft penalties. Now, you do get some soft penalties. Is it biased to Montreal? I, I'm going to say no. I don't think any ref goes into a hockey game, picks a team, and says, I'm going to go for this team and not that team. Uh, that's just they're professionals. They manage the NHL for a reason. Sometimes um, it does seem that way. And you can use, um, like, I use, I use scouting the refs. And um, now we know a little bit more. Like, we know who the refs are within the, each division. Before it wasn't that. It, before it wasn't that way. It was like, oh, we might have Wes McCauley tonight, or we might have. Chris Leith tonight, or we might have this guy or that guy and scouting the refs does do a very good job of showing the um, expected penalties to be called and the team's records and all that kind of stuff. And there is every now and then you'll see a matchup and you'll say, it'll say like um, 20, 20, 21 record against, uh, you know, for Montreal. And it's like, Oh, and six. And you're just like, well, fuck. Right. So that's Chris Lee. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't we don't have him this year. No. Thankfully. Thankfully. He's oh. Washington's problem. <laughs> he throws again. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, the faces Treg makes when he freezes. Oh, it, it's hilarious. Wonder if that's oh. a looks like his O face. <laughs> <laughs> so um 
but so you guys mentioned the um the chair uh, the chair of play where he's sitting on top of Lazar and just pummeling him yeah and there was no call but yet no. Suzuki gets a small one-handed tap on a guy's arm a hand oh, may as well. and he'll get two minutes yeah he may as well just amputate that arm too yeah exactly so yeah. that the consistency part that's what kills me yeah. I I just I, I just don't like it. Um, so, oh, he's gone. All right. Uh, we'll just move on to the next question. Uh, the next one comes from Italian Habs Mike. And Mike asks as a two-parter, do you agree that Drouin, Suzuki, and Anderson have been the best line so far? And the second one is, what has been the difference in, Tr- in Drouin's game uh, the last couple of years, I feel Drouin is playing with confidence and he isn't overthinking the puck. So is the Drouin line the number one line? And what do you think of Drouin's play? Treg, you're back. So we'll let you go back. first. Uh, read the question again. I just got back. So is this the one about Drouin's uh, Suki Anderson line? Yeah. Uh, I think they are the best line right now for the Habs offensively. Uh, they're they're good two way. Don't get me. I think Druin's having an excellent two way season for Druin. Uh, he's back checking. He's going into corners. He's doing all the all the things that we want him to do. Don't tell think, all halves. I'm talking about realistic hockey people. So, um, uh, you just threw me off with that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's playing. Um, he's playing extremely well, two way for him. He's playing for him, and don't expect a whole shitload of that from him because that's not his style. That's not his hockey. I mean, he's he's a offensive minded person. Uh, I don't understand why there's still hate for Druin because he's been doing this since last year. Uh, it's just happened that he had a major injury that split him up from that. Uh, that that put that. I think if he had a full year, people would think differently of him. Um, Anderson is the perfect fit for that line, especially for Druin, because he gives space for Druin to play his game. Druin doesn't have to go in the corner to into the front of the net because he has Anderson that can do that for him. Suzuki, Suzuki can do his job as a two-way center with uh, a high offense and Druin. And I think that's why that line's working so well because it's perfectly put together. You have your power forward, you have your skilled winger, and you have your skilled two-way center. And statistically, they're the second best uh, XGF line in the NHL right now. Not bad. No. Matt, what about you? I, I would agree. I'd say that so far they've at least, they've uh, they've definitely been their most consistent line, and uh, I feel that when they're on the ice, they um, they don't really get hemmed in their zone often. They do every now and then, but uh, we've seen it a couple times, but. Um, Usually when they're on the ice, they're the ones pushing the play. And as uh, Strike said, the um, the addition of Anderson to that line, he's definitely not just a slow plug. Like, he can really keep up. He can move. He's got, uh, you know, 21 shots so far already. And jerron um, has got five. And we know that he's more of a playmaker than a, than a shooter. But the thing is, I think that um, that part of his game is going to uh, – is going to develop this season having a guy like Anderson on the line. So he's not, as he said, not having to go in the corners and do the dirty work and everything. He can just be the guy that can either dish the puck or shoot it. And um, the defenders and the, in um, the offensive players are going to be worried about Anderson coming in on a four check 
or um, Suzuki dangling around him, which we've seen a couple times so far this season. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I got to agree with you guys. I think Suzuki's line is probably the best line so far for the Canadians. Uh, for all the reasons you've mentioned, they're, they're, generating, they're generating offense at an exquisite rate. They keep this up, be one of the top lines in the NHL in no time. Uh, Anderson is uh, a very speedy player. He's very swift. He he's smart too. He he knows where to go and how to get himself open. And Drouin can thread a pass. They don't have to worry about anything defensively because Suzuki is there on the offense, and he knows how to get back on defense and break up plays. I've even seen Drouin break up some plays defensively to figure out how to launch the the transition game, which because of his speed, Anderson is perfect for. Um, as for Drouin, uh, I think I think Italian Habs Mike nailed it. It's a confidence level. He is playing confidently, and when he does, he's more consistent. He's not overthinking. He uh, Drouin is the kind of guy that when things start to go bad, you know, he makes a mistake, then another one piles on, and he starts to dwell on those mistakes. Oh, I can't believe I did that. I can't. And it, it drags him down. But so far, even though he's made a couple of errors, glaring ones in some cases, he hasn't let it drag him down because his line mates are able to drag him forward. He's able to focus on what they're doing well. And I think that is pulling him along and making him a little bit more consistent because he's not overthinking everything. So that's my thought there. Um We'll move on to the next one. Yep. All right. So Beth from Happy Hour, Ivar Ritt, she asks, do you think the Habs would still be successful if they were playing the exact same way, but in a normal league setting against all 30 other teams? Trey? Yes. Yes. Matt? Matt? <laughs> no, I would think so because they can match up. They can match up um... – like Julian said, they can play um, they can play their brand of hockey, or they can match up against somebody else's, and we've seen it so far. They can play the uh, you score, I score. They can play the shutdown. They can play physical if they need to. Yeah, I think they'd be fine. Right? They uh, it's their depth. I think that's uh, again a key. Like they can Matt hit the nail on the head. They can change their game to play against anyone they want. They don't have to rely on one line to get all their points. They don't have to rely on these. I mean, don't get me wrong. I would love to have an elite player on the Montreal Canadiens. I would love to have a line like Matthews and Marner on the Canadiens. Don't don't get me wrong. Like, I tend to shit on the Leafs, but it's not because I think their players are trash. But uh, we don't have that. And the way I think it's better for the team, because in the way they're, they're, they're structuring their game – is they don't have to rely on any just one or two people or one or two lines. They can rely on anyone and they can change the way their style of game. And we said this before on previous shows. They're going to match lineups depending on the team that they're playing. So yeah, and and that's the, the convenience of the way Bergeron put things together. I mean, this team was so put together that Ryan Sposer of the Hockey Writers is actually writing positive articles about the Montreal <laughs> Canadiens. So. If Ryan, that's the case. Ryan, if you're kidnapped, blink twice. Yes, please. Please. Um, 
Yeah, so the I do think the Canadians would be doing as well in a 31 team league situation as opposed to the the North Division situation because the North Division is filled with really good hockey teams. I, I know Ottawa was at the bottom of the pack, but they've made improvements and they're not that bad of a club. Um, so, and then you look at Winnipeg with the trade they just made for uh, Pierre Lipsbois, and their center depth competes with anyone's in the league with Shifley and Dubois and Stastny and Lowry as a fourth liner. That's a, that's a hell of a lineup on at center. So I don't, I do think that the Canadians would be doing about as well. Um, and I think Treg, you nailed it. It's the depth being able to roll the four lines. Julian is a coach that just loves rolling his lines trusting all four of his lines and then kind of saving his guys. And this is how he does it by spreading out the ice time over a full season, even a shortened one. When you're like, I mentioned with that, uh, that graphic that uh, Matt Bedard shared um, when you're relying on your top three, four guys to play half a game every time that'll wear on you. Whereas opposed to the Canadians are, are playing the guys 15 to 18 minutes each average it out, you know, based on penalty kill and power play um, by the, well, by playoff time, they're much more rested. They've got more left in the tank. Um, and we saw that in Julian coach teams in the past where he's had a lot of success. So the Bruins teams of 2010, 11, 12, 13, won a cup, made a final in those four years with that kind of team. So I don't see why they wouldn't have that kind of success. So there you go. That's my thought. They, they have a few more challenges than what they have in the, because you can find a weakness on any team in the Canadian division. And this may sound homerish except Montreal. What's the, I'm not again. Freezing up again, man. Literally just as he started to say something, too. Take the hint. The universe is telling you something. Yeah. Look at the face on him. For those not watching on YouTube, you're missing out <laughs> on a show. Well, let's just, um, let's just, like, as he's, as he's frozen up, let's, let's just. The weakness in Montreal right now. Oh, there he is. Oh, there he cut well. Oh, no, he's frozen again. Yeah, he's frozen. Damn you. Ah. I, yeah, here I am. Can you hear me now? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what's going on with my internet. I have no idea. So because you're you're in le passage, probably. I've I've never had this. This is the first time I've had this issue, and that's what they all here. say. I don't. We get don't have a sponsor oppor- for that yet, so maybe you can go find. One. <laughs> I don't. I don't get enough for no, enough opportunity to find out if I have an issue in that in that position. So, uh, <laughs> but anyway. A manscaped at basically, least makes you look good. <laughs> that's right. Right. One to three I, I extra inches. All, all I was saying was other teams you can pick out a glaring a glaring uh, issue with the team, like D- Winnipeg defense, uh, Toronto, it's depth. Sorry, Toronto fans, you don't have any depth. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe Calgary. Calgary might be a hard one to pick out a, a, a weakness. Um, Vancouver, it's defense again they have no defense you know defense again you know so but montreal and calgary are probably the only two teams you can look at and go 
there's not a glaring weakness. Of course, there's weaknesses, but there's nothing that's glaring. So yeah. So the next question we have is from Hockey Last. I'm going to try and get through these pretty quick here. We've been we've been on the show for a while. So um, this one here is from Hockey Last seventy two, and she asks, "Is there a team that you would like to see the Habs play this season?" outside of the North division that would be particularly interesting or a challenging matchup for Montreal's carefully crafted team. Uh, Treg, before you freeze up, what about you? Uh, that's a good question. I'm going to go with Tampa just because of their Stanley cup finals. And I think they have the, I still think right now they have the best team on paper out there. So that's why I go with Tampa. Matt. So for me, it's not really the um, the whole question of who would be the most difficult or anything like that. But there are two teams that I'd like to see them play. Uh, one being Columbus, as I'd like to see Domi play his former team. And um, the other one would be the Rangers. I would have liked to see Lafreniere play a game in, uh, in Montreal. And just to have that for his career. Okay. Yeah, fair. Uh, for me, it's um, I'd like to see them play against Philadelphia. So it'd be a rematch of the playoff that they had lost in six games. And it would give you a good gauge of, because Philadelphia hasn't changed much of anything. They've got pretty much the exact same lineup, they put, same coach, same system, everything. So it would be a good, a good gauge to compare where they were and where they are. Um, because, you know, like I said, Philadelphia is pretty much, they're, they're a deep team with no major superstar. I mean, Giroux is no longer a superstar. Voracek, he's he's not quite a superstar. Sorry, sorry Chucky, don't, don't rat me out on Twitter. Don't kill me. Still love you here in Halifax, brother. Um, so yeah, it'd be, it'd be a really good test for the Habs and it'd be a good way to compare where they were and where they are. So that's where I'd like to go. And uh, our final question is from Leon... Kibitzis, I hope I pronounced that right now. Um, if Dano doesn't sign with the Habs, do you see them putting that money towards signing Tatar? And who do you see taking his place? Evans, Paling, or a free agent? Uh, Treg, we'll, we'll start with you again. I think they're going to try to sign Tatar anyway. Uh, I think they have $15.5 million in money. Uh they do have RFAs to sign, like Kakiemi and uh, Evans. I think has to sign as an RFA. Uh, I don't think no, he's Kotkin- got one more year. Does he? Anyway, I don't think Kakiemi is going to be too too expensive. Um, I personally don't think Deneau's coming back. I think uh, Montreal made their offer. Deneau said no, and we all know how Mark Bergevin is. Uh, if that's the if the offer that's out there is what the offer that he made, I don't see Bergevin budging from it. So unless Dodo says yes later on down the road, I just don't see him coming back. Uh, who's he going to replace by? Probably Evans. I think Evans is playing well enough now to move up to the third line. Kotniemi is playing well enough to move to the second line. And uh, yeah, sure, Palin can. I, I want to see Palin and Laval under Bouchard. For some for this year, I'm hoping he goes down from the taxi squad before I say I could see them just signing a, a low rental Nate Thompson type player to uh, to play on the fourth line if Paling's not ready to step in. Yeah, um, Matt, what about you? 
Um, I agree that I think that they're trying to bring Tatara back as well. And I think it's going to be at a discounted price. It's going to be something uh, maybe at least we're making 4.8 right now. I think it could be something more or less. Uh, I would say somewhere around four, 4.25, kind of like what Toffoli's making right now. I think the, the Toffoli deal is a fantastic deal, especially so far for the Canadians. Um, and um Deneau is a player that I really want to see more out of. He's only got two shots so far this year, and he's kind of been uh, – kind of really hasn't been a, an X factor in any of the games that he's played so far. And uh, I, I kind of agree. He's a UFA. He's already apparently turned down a, a lengthy contract with the Canadians. It was a six-year deal worth uh, five mil apiece. If he thinks he can get more money elsewhere, then, then go give her is you're not worth that much more. And um, would it be nice to still have him around and keep him there? Because he is a very good defensive center, of course. And would the team uh, team be worse off without him right now? Yeah, I think they would. Um, in the system, I believe Evans would be the logical choice, obviously, to move up. And um, I don't think uh, – honestly, I don't think Paling's ready for the NHL right now. So I wouldn't even put him in that position or even put him in a fourth-line position because he needs some time under Bouchard to, uh, to find his game. And hopefully he does, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to throw away another first round pick. And we know that he's got potential. We know that he can, uh, he's a bigger body. Is he going to be a top six guy? Probably not, but does he have, um, an NHL, um, does he have, you know, does he have what it takes to be an NHL player? Absolutely. But not just, not yet. And, um, I, I think that Deneau might, might move on so that might leave a gap whether it's a free agent or someone within the system to uh to fill that hole who knows okay uh for me uh, i don't know deno is a tough it's tough to say it's, it's very possible that he does not return um according to uh la poche bleue it's a uh, francophone uh, podcast hosted by max lapierre and uh guillaume nathan Adres. They came out with something uh, just recently where they mentioned that the the Deno clan <clears throat> was asking for five and a half to five point seven over six years, so that's that's basically a difference of about half a million dollars from what the Canadians were offering per season. Now, how big of a difference is five and a half to five? Well, I mean, I think Matt, you mentioned the um, the flat cap and the financial difficulties that teams are in. I think the Canadians need to leverage that. If they can, if they can get him at five or under, then sure, keep him. But if he refuses to sign a six-year deal, making that kind of money, then, I mean, as good as he is, he's probably not going to get that money anywhere else. And will he be happy with the the role that he's going to be given? over the next few years as Suzuki is clearly becoming the number one. Kotniemi is going to probably outstrip him in the next year or two. So is he going to be happy in those last four years of his deal where he is basically relegated to a third line role or a matchup role? I don't know. So maybe, maybe that's why he's kind of holding out. So let's just imagine he doesn't come back. Um, because I, I still think it's 50-50 right now. And if he doesn't come back, it's going to be after he's played an entire season and they let him walk away. 
I, I honestly think that because uh, they'll use him as an own rental. Um, if he doesn't come back, yeah, I can see Evans being pushed up to the third. I don't think that's ideal. I don't think Evans is ready for that. We'll see what happens throughout the year. Um, as for paling, I agree with Treg. He absolutely must have a full season under Bouchard in Laval. Um, he was up and down all last year, and that kind of, I think that stunted his growth a little bit. And this is a career, this is a uh, contract year for him, so he's going to get a contract extension next year. He's going to, you know, a one or two year bridge deal. It's not going to be much money at all, um, but a full year under Bouchard, uh, playing in Laval uh, in uh, the AHL's Canadian division as well. Uh, with rumors of Stockton moving up into Canada because there's talk of uh, the Flames AHL affiliate moving to Calgary so that they can they have their affiliate in the country. They don't have to go through the quarantine and all that in case of it, injuries. So that would add a fifth team to the Canadian division. I think that would be, you know, that'd be pretty solid for an AHL team. You're not playing four teams 17 times. You're playing, you're playing five teams, I don't know, 12 times. So, uh, but a full year under Bouchard, I think would give Paling um, a pretty good development. He might even become a third liner after that. So the battle would be between those two. They'd be both signed super cheap. So yeah, I can see the money being used to keep Tatar. If Tatar is willing to sign a four-year deal, because you'll note, uh, I think, uh, Treg, you mentioned this in a previous show, pretty much everyone's contracts are coming up around the 34 year mark. They get to 34 and the contract's done. So it's, it seems that Bergevin is trying to avoid having those 35 and over contracts or anyone into the 35s other than price and, uh, and Weber Petrie now. So he's trying not to get those. Uh, He limits them. So I can see that being an offer, Uh, but we'll see. We will see. Just to go back to what you said about the contract, as a team, do you want to be paying your third centers five and a half to six million dollars? That's another thing. No, to look at no, it's not very good for your, so, your your cap, right? And there's still issues. So, Does the flat cap regress at the end of the two years? We don't know yet. So, whole uh, other conversation, a whole other show you could have on that. Yeah. And uh, that pre- that does it for our mailbag. Uh, I want to thank everybody who sent in their questions. Uh, I think we covered most of the ones that were sent our way. There's a few that we couldn't do. Uh, time restraints. I apologize. Uh, keep the questions coming. We want to interact with you on social media. Please keep it coming. Check, uh, check out Habs Unfiltered on Facebook, on Instagram, YouTube. Subscribe and comment. Um, you can, I mean... You go to YouTube, you can actually look at the wonder that is Matt and his onesie. Right? I mean, come on. So uh, I want to thank everyone for listening. Uh, I want to thank you for all your questions. And remember, if you were talking about it, so are we. And that concludes another episode of Habs Unfiltered. We would like to thank all our listeners, old and new, for joining us. We hope you were informed and entertained. 
And always remember, if you are talking about it, so are we. Did, Will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com.